The presenting sponsor of On Education is Participate. Lately, teachers from all over have been working together to find new approaches to provide quality remote education. Participate's sister company, Participate Learning, presents United We Teach, a global gathering place for educators to share distance learning resources as we navigate these strange times. For these resources and more, visit participate.com slash oneducation. Solid tweet. We'll go back to hating your tweets next week. Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss the implications of teachers being declared essential workers, why learning management systems should be designed more like video games, and our guest this week is educator and author Josh Stock. I like Josh Stock. He's, oh, there's a great guest. You guys are going to love this. Good dude. Yes. So the um, the Minecraft server, by the way, if anyone's interested in just playing Minecraft and hanging out on a, on a Minecraft server, I have one. <laughs> and, and and you're more than Come welcome play. to play on it. Um, we'll put the um, we're, we're going to keep the um, sign on uh, the allow list request form in the show notes. If you're looking to just play Minecraft, um, we actually had someone from last um, episode's podcast um, send me a DM and say I signed up for the 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 list. Uh, so so our friend uh, friend my friend Jameson Lee from from the Cornwall area in Ontario um, is playing. He's been playing a lot, dying a lot. Jameson, gotta Jam- stop dying, buddy. Jameson rocks. I like that guy. Jameson does rock. He's a very <laughs> very nice guy. Yep. Really appreciate uh, him and uh, happy he's playing uh, Minecraft with me. We we killed the Ender Dragon. Hey. Um, so the end is the end is clear. Um, or at least the dragon part of the end, and uh, I got an Elytra, and so I can fly around everywhere Ooh. now, which is which is exciting. <laughs> um, and uh, so I've been doing a lot of flying, which is fun. Um, and uh, yeah, no, the the server looks good. I'm I'm getting ready to. Um, Steve Isaacs hates this, but like I I'm breeding villagers for their little <laughs> their little vending machine. You know, experience know. Uh, that's coming. Uh, though I am considering um, modifying my. So originally, I was going to build a big building and put the villagers in a little kind of space in the building. So you went into like this big great hall, and there'd just be villagers in their little like cages, for lack of better words. And you just went up to them and you trade with them, and this is where they live. But I saw some really cool YouTube videos where um, someone built like houses that were specifically designed um, as if they were for a specific village. So there's like a a blacksmith house and there's a a Fletcher house and there's a cleric house. I like that idea. And so the styles, but you know, so you, you still kind of sort of, for lack of better words, lock the villager in their house, Yeah, but they have a house of their own (laughs) as opposed to a a big building that you go into and they're just there like a bank. Uh, It's like the matrix, but they're all, you know, where they're all just like sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross. Um, so I'm feeling, I am getting a little guilt, um, about, about, you know, ethical treatment of Minecraft villagers. I don't know, What the hell is happening to me? Um, but we'll see. Uh, I, I'm working on it. So I have this big giant space, this, area that's all cleared out ready for a big village and you know i'm thinking you know i have tons of room maybe i you know give each villager their own little house oh um that would be nice so you have to kind of like almost like an rpg you know like in final fantasy you you like had to like go Mm -hmm. to like the the black magic store and then the white magic store and then the the shield and the sword and shield store and the armor store and you had to like go to all of these different buildings Mm -hmm. to get what you needed well maybe you go to all these different buildings to to see your villagers and do your trading and get your get your emeralds yeah i'm thinking I, i actually think that's that would be a cool i know that there are some servers like that that it would be a cool addition to add those inner active elements the rpg elements to villagers that's what we did in my spanish classes with a uh an ability to be able to manipulate basically minecraft uh it it it, there was an npc editor and then you could go in there and and add those elements 
you're you're almost there. Now we just yes. need a little quest ethical, adventure kind of things and those kinds of things. Yeah, ethical villagering. <laughs> I think I it was John, that that's John also Spike. going to be the name of the episode. <laughs> John Spike put the pressure on you too because he always talks about that. Leave those it's villagers true. alone. <laughs> John John Spike and Steve Isaac Scott to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was going to talk about that. A, a lot of us um, are already back at school, and I know this was the first day we're recording on a Monday here. Um, that a lot of people I saw on Twitter were, it was their first day back, whether it was virtually yeah. or a face to face. Um, I'm back this week just because I'm an in, uh, instructional coach, uh, doing, uh, in service sessions for our new teachers and so on and so forth. And then next week is all the teachers that we do again, uh, professional development all the next week. And then, then the following week is that week, uh, of, after Labor Day, and and that'll be the official start for us. But I know a lot of people have started already. Um, and now that we're starting to get the procedures down and people are talking about it, it should be interesting to see, you know, kind, kind of like those face-to-face experiences that I'm going to have also. Like, what are they like? Um, you know, what are, what are some things that people are learning, you know, as far as uh, – how to, you know, procedures and so on and so mm-hmm, forth. Mm-hmm. What are the best practices? I guess that's what I'm trying to get to both school wide, district wide, but then also even in your classroom, what are some good tips and tricks as people do that? One of the things that is concerning, uh, to both myself and we, I was speaking to my wife, uh, who's a high school English teacher. She is concerned about, um, being able to be heard. You know, you're going to be wearing a mask or a face shield, yeah. Um, and to be able to go ahead and project your voice this is a super important skill that, that we all just take for granted, you know, just being able to be uh, not only heard, but understood, you know, giving clear directions and so on and so forth. Uh, but with a face mask or a face shield, how do you do that effectively? Um, and so we're going to work through There's those There's some kinks. interesting hacks online. I've seen some oh, yeah? cool. Okay. Oh, dude. I've okay. seen some really interesting posts about people. Um, I saw someone who connected their um, their iPhone yeah. to like some sort of a speaker, and then connected it to like um, a mic of yeah. some sort or something, or wore a headset. Yes. and then and then it went out over the speaker. There's tons of because because those systems hacks. that if you buy yeah. them, they're super expensive. You know the yeah. actual systems that you buy. I know a lot of our. I've been in elementary school classrooms when they have those systems in place and they and they build them in and you wear a little lapel and yeah. then they have the nice speaker system around the thing. I mean or those are ball. those are over a thousand dollars. Oh the ball is actually interesting too. That would yeah. be an interesting one too. Just a yeah, handheld microphone of some sort, yeah, with an amplification system. If, yeah, there are tons anybody, of hacks out yeah, there. Yeah, if people can share some of those things too, that would be awesome because I think that, that some would... of those types of best practices of that specific yeah. thing or anything else as the year kicks off would be very helpful for all of us. Cheryl went back today just mm. to, to – so it was her first day um, yeah, at the school since, yeah. since March. Um, actually, I think she went back one time in the spring just to grab something quick. Um, but – um, first day, um, and just kind of getting her room under control. Uh, one cool thing that she's been doing that I thought I'd mention for any, any kind of primary teachers out there that still are using like, especially little manipulatives, like little blocks and stuff like that. She bought, um, you know, it's funny. She bought a bunch of stuff, you know, because that's what they do. It's what teachers do is they spend their own money to solve problems that have been created that, that, you know, boards and districts can't can't you know help you with but anyway she bought a whole bunch of um plastic like um segmented containers Mm. um and put you know a series of blocks in each one or her pieces and they have a lid and she has enough for the whole class so she she bought you know 25 or 20 of these bins and then put her um manipulatives in it and now each one each student has a piece has a set Oh, that's so awesome. She doesn't ha- so she doesn't have to clean them. She doesn't have to like sanitize them because they're that students. They belong to that thing. kid. They're the they're their right. supply thing. I get you. Yeah, yeah, it's like one one to one manipulatives, right? Very, <laughs> very well thought out. Yes, especially yeah, if you can, if you have those, you know, enough to be able to distribute. Yes, yeah. a, that's a fantastic idea. And I've mentioned on the podcast a bunch of times. My wife has a lot of just stuff. 
Yes. You know, as, as a primary lot of, teachers do. A lot of, a lot of do. people do, yes. And, and um, so she had all of these things already. Um, so they're hers. So she didn't have to borrow anything from the school. She didn't have to take anything from supply, you know, closets or anything like that. It's all hers. And now these are hers, too. And if, you know, she has to go to a different school or whatever, she takes these with her. She's bringing you know. that with her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we got a whole – we actually are just about to start renovating the basement. Um, and, you know, we have the whole bedroom, which is going to be eventually my office, is full of primary education supplies We're, things i mean you can call them supplies um <laughs> you have other names there's lots of there's a lot of stuff down there and it needs to be gone through and i just we were joking that uh, i said or i said maybe you got you got eight weeks to uh to figure <laughs> you it got out a countdown <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i mean having a deadline helps i think because oh my god there's so much crap down there uh, oh and, and a lot of it gets you know because you need something you go down there and you, she tears through it and mm-hmm. it so eventually after like three years of it being down there it's it's not in the best condition anymore <laughs> so you. it needs to be gone through again and oh my god so i missed this tweet mm-hmm. um and i didn't even see it until you put it on the outline and um, so uh, the modest teacher who we've we've not always agreed with and, and definitely has more hot takes than me, which is shocking, um, you know, wrote, I'm telling you, game designers should be designing online learning platforms. Most of these learning platforms are designed for teachers and not 12 year olds. And I mean, I'll tell you, this is speaking our language on like. Yes. So many levels. So, so many levels. And actually, I mean, this has been attempted. Uh, Dr. Haskell had a system that he developed at Boise State University that was using basically game-based elements to create a what ended up being a learning management system. Um, and can you imagine like the people at Blizzard and Bethesda and the the innovative thinkers out there i was just thinking about the uh skyrim you know you've played skyrim right mike you know of course i've yeah, played yeah. skyrim so, multiple times so you know skyrim has and people that don't know skyrim it's a role-playing game that's just an amazing beautiful game uh number one but not only is it that but it really has this super in-depth um skill uh system and it's based upon these these attributes that you just you develop one skill and then you can build that to get the next skill on a skill tree. Yeah. And the skill trees are beautifully designed, uh, like constellations, I think. The Skyrim skill tree is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking of stuff like that. Like we speak in these terms of, of uh, what we want our students to be able to do, their outcomes, their standards that they meet. And it's this kind of super high-level talkity talk teacher talk you know and sure. and we and it doesn't and it's hard to relate it to a student especially let's just say an elementary student much less i mean a high school student number one much less an elementary student that's what i was trying to say um but these skill trees you can see what you where you're at and where you can grow and what you need to do to be able to get to that level and it's beautifully designed and it, it it captures your attention and you want to grow in these certain areas, right? So you look at your skill tree and you're like, okay, cool. I'm here, here. And let me go ahead. And I need to be able to do these things. Well, how do I do that? Well, I need to do these specific things. Same thing as far as in learning and, and the design elements in learning management systems, unfortunately, haven't changed that much though, Mike, if we really admit it, how much... We know that it's it's different. Let's just talk about. Let's say the, the Moodle, biggest the Moodle biggest versus difference between Moodle. Yeah, yeah Moodle right. versus Schoology. The biggest Schoology. difference between Moodle and Schoology. Yeah, Mo- even Moodle from like two thousand and eight. Okay. To Schoology now. Okay. Is the graphic the GUI the graphical user interface? Yes. It, it it is almost nothing else. It's just the way it looks. Yeah, but. The, the organization, the ease of access and ability for a student to know how they're growing and learning, you know, has nothing to do with that. It's organizational folders. Yeah. yeah and yeah, and yeah. it's great for us. 
Yeah, because it's, it's awesome for teachers. Because that's how our minds think. We've always organized in file cabinets these folders and put things in there, yep. and they had them designed by thematic unit or this a uh, certain month or whatever we were actually doing. And just like Cheryl is, has these things all organized because that's how we that's we work in systems as far as teachers to make sure that we can. Uh, the following year, know what our stuff is, what do we need to do, you know, where our stuff is at. Same thing with the learning management system is totally built for adults. And as yeah. I was thinking about that, I'm like, yeah, that's n- it, there's no video game that looks like a learning management system because that video game would never get out of uh, beta. <laughs> yeah. That would instantly fail. No one would buy that. It's just the design aspects and the way that it sh- it shows and promotes growth it should show us showing us uh, and promoting growth for a student and the learning should be uh it should be easy to see what you're actually supposed to do and how and then the directions on how to do it and then what you what did you once you did that like it should you know we talk about badging systems we've talked with noah as far as those kinds of things but take it to the next level like what games are doing as far as earning uh, attributes and badges and those types of things, but not just cheese ball stuff, which is like a little sticker thing. That's, that's not a good element. Look at the highest level of games and the game design and how is uh, Skyrim and those types of games able to capture our attention for hundreds of hours replayability mm-hmm. we can go back Skyrim. I don't even know how old it is now, uh, but it, it is, it's kind of an older game. But I could go back to it, start from the beginning and go, I, I love this game. I could start again because it has definitely replayability and we want to go ahead and be engaged in it and, and put even more hours into it. And there's a reason for that. We can definitely design systems of learning, uh, these learning management systems, to emulate some of those aspects. But Nine years. Nine, Nine years, years ago. November. And we're still talking about it. It's beautiful. Still talking, still playing it. I still mean, playing. S- Summit, Summit on Twitch was playing Skyrim yeah. just like a month and a half ago. And he's like the one of the most famous streamers in the world playing Skyrim. Skyrim. There you go. A nine-year-old <laughs> game. Uh, yes. So, um, great take. We know, we know that, um, and it, I mean, you can argue this all you want, but I, I just think you're wrong. Um the folks who design games right now, the modern game designer Mm -hmm. is the world leader in engagement. Oh, big time. They, they, the people who design games, especially triple a games like the Skyrims, like Mm -hmm. Josh, um, um, Howard, Todd Howard. Sorry. That's his name. Todd Howard. The, guy who made Skyrim, guy who makes all of these Bethesda games, mm-hmm. right? Fallout, Fallout. Another, like mm-hmm. all of these games, all made by Todd Howard. The Todd Howards of the world are the like the Steven Spielbergs of the 2000s. Yeah, the 2020s, right? yes. And and they, they, they captivate you. And if we could just like find the Todd Howard that can like, you know, translate what he knows about keeping someone captivated in a game for 300 hours over and then and then doing it again a couple of years later and then yeah. doing it again a couple of years later and doing that for nine years if we can figure that magic out and translate that Ooh. to learning management that is you've uh, solved yes. you've solved so many things and it's I, like the we'd only like to be involved the, the, with that <laughs> i I, I don't know why we're not setting up the LLC right now, man. I, I just seriously. I, I mean, we have friends who yeah, yeah. could probably, you know, seed. We need we need a couple hundred thousand dollars in seed money, yes. friends. Let's go. Yeah. Let's, Paul Dervasi, Steve Isaacs, John Fallon. I, uh, yep. Mark Mark Otter's listening. Yes. Come on, Mark. Let's get it going, buddy. We're gonna make our um, own a whole different branch of participate for but for for kids yeah. for the students. Students, a, a, listen, hmm. a student-centered LMS. Yes, I mean, I mean, 
all of these all of these LMSs say they're student centered. We know they're not. They're no. teacher centered. They're made for the teacher to use so they can give you grades. Oh. Um, that that is what they do. Um, Classcraft is really the only thing yeah, that comes even moderately close to to doing what we're talking about. Yes. Um, where you know it's it's not really an LMS. They they even call it a behavior management system. It's it's engagement. It's it's to keep your students interested in what they're learning by offering them progression and development as a character yes. in the system. It's 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 class, heading in that class direction. Classcraft is the only yeah. Classcraft is the only thing that even comes close. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. um you know we know this um I think that all of the folks that live in our little our little game-based learning gamification orbit all hopefully read that and went yeah, yeah. no we, we knew agree. this already. Yeah. <laughs> we were we were there um but we're we're I'm I'm thrilled that you know it got you know I'm looking at it a, a thousand likes and almost 200 retweets probably the best tweet that that dude's ever done I assume it's a dude I think I think he's said it I think it's yeah I think it's a guy um so you know <laughs> solid tweet we'll go back to hating your tweets next week <laughs> modest we'll, teacher we'll see what what else you come up with buddy <laughs> <laughs> you got you got one. Good uh, job. That's um, awesome. So, uh, White House declares teachers essential workers to get us all back in physical classrooms. Mm. Man, that was some. You're, you're essential. That was a devas- some, a devastating uh, piece of news that came out because we all know what that means. Basically, what like I said, the implications of that are that can't say no. That at any point. That's the government decides we need to make sure that we're all back in the physical classroom. Um, not because we think it's the right thing to do or the safest thing to do, but because it's the the most economical thing to do. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I, I think it's, 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 it's the logic behind it. Um, it's really freaky and scary because it, it can uh, it does make a difference. People might say, "Well, that's just something that so, you know somebody said." But no, when you've been categorized as that, just think about your other essential workers that are out there that are are on the front lines: our doctors and our nurses, um, and many other professions, our firefighters and our police officers, and so on and so forth. Um, they have continued to work through the pandemic and will continue to do that. And doesn't matter what happens, they will continue to do that. So it's it, by us being declared as that also, it's kind of freaky. It's kind of like where you go, but what if, you know, X happens, you know, like kind of thing. It's like, yeah, well, you still got to go to work, buddy, if you can do it. And, and just like last week when we were talking about the governor from Florida or the Department of Education guy or whoever that was, who was saying, you know, once you uh, have a couple days rest, <laughs> and right. after you've tested positive, you have a couple days rest, get back into that classroom and, and uh, continue to go ahead and do your work. It's like, wow, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's, we live in crazy times, but I wanted to make sure we brought that up because um, I think it, it will have or could have devastating consequences. And I'm hoping that it doesn't. You know, and, and uh, yeah, November can't come fast enough. So, and and then we'll just have to see, you know, what's what's going to end up happening as far as, um, you know, at the national level because declarations like this are federal declarations where it does. You, you, most of the time, we kind of ignore <laughs> kind of national things. We're we're really focused, hyper centered on state and especially local politics here in the United States. But in this case, this is if you're an educator anywhere in the United States, this could have uh, real life implications for you and your family and your kids and whatever else so fun yeah um, and no one agrees like uh, i mean you, depending on where you go and and who you're talking to and what the political leaning of the place that you're in is no um i mean you could have completely different responses to yes. the exact same thing i, know. I mean co listen friends covid19 doesn't give a damn where your school boundaries are no um you know so you know if district and district that are beside each other they could have completely different responses Mm -hmm. to the exact same virus yes the virus just doesn't stop 
at your school district's boundaries. It it is persistent. It is everywhere in in your yes, and and so you know these these differing of opinions and there's no clear responses. There's no clear. There's no data. 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 Yeah, either way. I don't know. Whatever word I want to use. <laughs> There's none of that either um, to give us like a clear answer on what we should be doing, right? No, and and that's it. We, we I mean, I I, po- I was linking another article as we were uh, discussing before the podcast, and we were just talking. And one of the things is that we can't even agree, like you just said, from district to district. It's kind of like what should be our response to this, and this is happening right now. It you know locally for me. You know, a, a, the district I live in and the district I work at are a mile or so apart, <laughs> and yeah. they're separated by a fake line, um, and they have completely different uh, actions that they're going to use to be able to begin the school year. And it's like, how can that be? And the reason why that can be is it, and the reason why there is no consensus about reopening schools or there's no thing, is because we don't have a national. Uh, leadership to say, here's what we're going to do, you know, and here's how we're going to do it. And we're going to get this under control, et cetera, and so on and so forth. We can learn so many lessons from so many uh, other countries like yours just by, you know, getting some leadership nationwide and then doing it. And and the reason why I know that would actually work, Mike, is because in our states, remember when I was complaining about on the podcast where I didn't want to go to any stores because people weren't wearing masks, you know, only maybe half yep. of the people or, and there were some people making fun of me and my wife yeah. because we were wearing yeah. masks. But there was a moment where the governor decided that nah, we're going to have a mask mandate. It's just, it's time. We need to go in and do that. And guess what? Everybody is freaking wearing masks. That's and great. at least we're doing that much, that one yeah. little tiny step towards Maybe being able to go ahead and get the numbers under control, and and then and then maybe having an outlook where we're like, okay, we're 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 headed where the numbers are going lower and lower. We have this under control, and obviously now we can do more things, open up things, whatever it might be that is the next steps. But it can be mandated, you know. And like we had talked about before, as far as in the podcast, not really, it's not a huge infringement on our rights. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's not the best thing as far as whatever might be, you know, as far as to be able to wear that, but it's what we just got to, we just got to do it. Um, and it's the least we can do, you know, the least that we it can is. actually go ahead it and do. It's absolutely the least we can do. Yeah. Uh, wear your masks, friends. <laughs> yes. I, I don't think we have to tell no. many people of our, our listeners. No. Uh, I'm sure you're wearing your masks literally right now. <laughs> um, when we come back, we had a great conversation with Josh Stock. So stay with us. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Josh Stock is a sixth grade language arts teacher in Olathe, Kansas. He's an active speaker and the author of the ISTE published book, Awesome Sauce. Create videos to inspire students, engage parents, and save you time. Welcome to On Education, Josh. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, Josh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, share a little bit of your story, tell us how you came to us today. So, like you said, this is my 13th year of teaching. Uh, I teach sixth grade language arts at a middle school. Um, and I'm also the robotics coach. I do all these random clubs after school. Um, I host a podcast, the Kansas Moonshot podcast, all about cool stuff going on in the state of Kansas. Um, and most importantly, uh, I produce a podcast called the Oliver Banana Podcast, which is my second grade son's podcast he started this summer. Oh, cool. Um, I told him. I told him I would promote it on this this podcast. For sure. So check out the Oliver, <laughs> Oliver Banana Show. Uh, yeah, he's very excited. He does all the editing and audacity, and yeah, it's cool. We're linking hashtag, that in hashtag the, marketing. Yeah, we're linking that in the <laughs> show notes. You can get a bill in the mail. <laughs> so, Josh, you've written a book that's near and dear to my heart. It's about creating videos to inspire students. It's in the title, and. It's called Awesome Sauce, which I loved, and I, I loved your introduction about what is the awesome sauce, you know, what does it mean to bring that as far as a teacher, and what does it mean to bring it as far as into your videos. So let's start off with, there's a portion of the book that tar- talks about inspiring of students. 
through the medium of video. So what are some tips for our teachers out there that are going to be starting in a blended environment or a completely online environment? And I wrote the question like that, but really, as I went and started reading your book, there's so many pieces of advice that you have there for even in-class usage of a video. So give us some of those tips just to kind of get us going. So the biggest thing is less is more. Teachers always want to make these really long, like 15 minute videos. Yes. And really you can always cut those down. Um, four to six minutes is really that sweet spot. Um, but I'm really into TikTok right now. Like I'm amazed at what they can do with one minute. Um, and I think that's the biggest yes. piece of advice is just don't try to make this really long video. Kids won't sit through it. And so if you have to create a longer video, segment it out, break it up into chunks so that um, they're just four to six minute manageable pieces. I love that. I would also add, um, if you can add any variety to the videos, um, I've recorded videos everywhere, vacations I've gone on. Uh, my favorite is we were on a ghost hunt at Missouri State Penitentiary um, with my wife and some teacher friends. And we're there at like one in the morning and I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, this looks like a dungeon. And so one in the morning, I just, I, I apologized and I sprint down this corridor <laughs> with all these like rusted prison cells screaming, they're after me, they're after me, like just running. And thankfully they were all teachers, so they got it. But, uh, you know, any variety you can add to your videos, just look for great locations. So, so you recorded that, Josh, so you could use it as a segment in a, in a video. I get you. Yeah. So I did, I did some stock footage. So I was like, hmm. uh, I recorded myself saying they're after me. I recorded myself like hunched in corners, like just saying stuff that I thought might be able to be used in a video later. And then I just found a way to work it in. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. So I do a lot of streaming and, and I, this book actually probably resonates with both Glenn and I. We've both done a ton of video work where I'm like knee deep, head deep <laughs> in video work right now. It's basically all I do these days. I'm streaming 10 to 15 hours a week at this point. And I don't think for me personally, I don't think I've done a perfect stream yet. And I've been streaming, you know, at this pace for, um, you know, almost a year now. Um, and, and definitely been doing videos for, for six, seven, eight, nine years pretty regularly. Um, and you know, if you watch, um, the inside participate stream almost every day, it comes up that where I say something, uh, where I've screwed up something and I always say streaming is hard, uh, when something goes wrong. Um, and the reality is making great content whether it's streaming or podcasting we have tons of stories of horror stories of podcasts gone wrong uh or or youtube videos it's all hard um it's i i tell people all the time it's really easy to do it's hard to do really really well that's i think the the, the way i say it um but you'll always make mistakes and you'll always screw things up um, and the, the first thing you write in your book, the very first line is you will fail. <laughs> and I, I laugh because, uh, I tell people that all the time, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, streaming is hard and podcasting is hard. Doing it well is very hard. It's a lot of work. Um, so for the aspiring content creators out there, educators who want to start getting into doing more video and audio stuff do you think you could give us some tips on how to deal with that that hardness about how to deal with how complicated this can be sometimes and also for fun um because i i share a lot of the horror stories in my my keynote in particular i've shared some stories but for fun maybe share a moment or two that comes to mind some of your top blunders while making content <laughs> so i have this thing called the rule of three where i get three shots at my videos that's it um you know if it's, it's if it's something super important i may give it an, a, an extra fourth shot but other than that i get three shots to make the video i know it's not going to be perfect um, and once i started embracing imperfect videos um, i really started enjoying filmmaking more because i didn't have to stress about all of the um that. everything that was going through my head and and getting inside my head about the work um and i also had a lot of kids who would screenshot 
all the mistakes I would make and then airdrop them to me throughout class. So <laughs> I really had to humble That's myself. That's how you know they love bit. you. That's how they oh, know yeah. you love. Oh, yeah. That's how I you know they bullying. love you. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, I I really had to embrace that it wasn't going to be perfect. Um, and you know, every single video I do, I can find things that I could do better in. Um, I just actually last week I was doing a tutorial and I it was like a four minute tutorial, but I didn't want to go back and re-record it. I was like two minutes in and I said something wrong and I just put text over what I was saying and just said, oops, this is really where you click and just circled it. And it was fine. Nobody's going to look at it and say, I mean, they might criticize it, but oh, well, I mean, if they appreciate it, got value out of the video, that's fine. Um, and so I, I just embraced that it's never going to be perfect. I think that holds a lot of people back from just even using, just recording themselves. Uh, it was terrifying for many teachers this spring when we, most of us ended up uh, going virtual. And then there was this concept of both synchronous and asynchronous learning. And even, I think there was some things, and I, I know you probably saw this because I know you're on Twitter too, Josh, where people are perpetuating the fear of someone doing what you just finished describing, which is taking a snapshot of you, like, you know, like making some weird face as your lecture or whatever you're laughing and then posting it on social media. Do you know what I mean? As far as perpetuating that fear. And I, I think that that's number one, that's wrong. It's okay for us to just like a really good teacher is there. Uh, the best thing about being a teacher as far as for in front of your students is to, it's okay to make fun of yourself. To be, to be fun and be like, yep, I make all kinds of mistakes. It's totally fine. Let's laugh with me, at me. It's okay because you know I'm my own biggest whatever by beef critic. Um, how do how do you move teachers to that point where it's okay to make those mistakes to 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 put yourself out there and even you know to get some clips out there that like you just said that are airdropped to you or posted on social media or whatever it might be and, and to be kind of okay with that because that's kind of the. It's, it is, it, I don't want to even call it the new frontier, as Mike, me, Mike and I often say. It is here. It is now. It's what's happening now. So we have to adapt to it, right? I think a lot of it's just practice, getting, pushing that record button. And that's, that's the biggest hurdle is pushing that record button for the first time and realizing, okay, maybe it's not what I liked. I'm going to try again. Um, but it's that first initial step of I'm going to push record and see what happens. Um, sometimes that's the biggest hurdle. Yeah. Two thing two things came to mind when you're talking about that there. Um the first is that classic um uh, Voltaire quote, you know, the perfect is the enemy of good or mm. perfect is the enemy of done. Um, you know, and the idea that, you know, if you're just waiting for things to be perfect, you're never gonna do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and um uh, speaking of TikTok, someone who talks a lot about just pushing that play button and recording whatever comes out is Gary V, who's not everyone's cup of tea, but he's not wrong about that. He's not wrong about the idea that, you know, you just you got to just do it and and, you know, just keep doing it every, you know, and every day putting out content, um, no matter what it is, um, is, is better than, you know, being paralyzed by the fear that you're going to make a mistake and screw it up. Yeah. One of the best ways for me when I first started practicing this was I, so I do daily announcement videos and that actually helped me a lot because I, it takes about five minutes and I record all the stuff I would normally say at the beginning of the hour. Um, I record a video of it and since I'm in middle school, like that prevents me from having to say it over and over. And, you know, you can't remember what you said second hour and, you know, you get all mixed up. So I record it. But that also lets me, when we're in person, check in with kids. So I play the video announcements on the screen. I go in and check in with kids. Well, that also gives me practice because I'm mm-hmm. doing it every single day. And I've got a structure to it. So it, it, it makes me feel more comfortable doing that over and over and over in the same same format. Josh, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the first things that I actually shared with my wife, who's a language arts teacher in a high school. I said, this is like a great idea for for all of us to be able to go ahead and use doesn't even matter at what level mostly because especially people that have to teach a class multiple times per day you know like you were teaching language arts and you teach five sections or six sections of it by the time you said as far as in the book that you got to your fourth or fifth time you're saying you don't even remember like 
if you said the things or didn't say the things, you're not really as passionate about it. But even better than that, the reasoning for that was that part about you just saying you need to uh, do the social emotional learning check-ins with your students. You can see in their faces there's something wrong, something's going on here. And in the book you describe, I can check in, take attendance, do all of those things, and then have that video. It's a it's a part of the routine. The students are used to it. Um, so a fantastic, that, by the way, everybody that's listening, the book has many of those types of tips, like practical ways of applying video, whether it be in a virtual format or in a blended learning environment, or even in this case, in an in-class environment. But here's another thing that you talk about too. We figured out even, we knew that this was an important thing for us to do as, as educators, but this spring, we really found out how important it was to engage our parents, uh, how how closely we needed to work with them so that there was a success, you know, as far as the, their students or their kids' education. And in this, in your book, you describe that you can do that through video. So I was like, oh, I was like, what are some ideas about that as far as being able to engage our parents through this concept of video? And I, I'm sure you have some really good uh, things as far as for us to share here. So I am a parent of two kids in elementary school. Actually, my daughter's in, going into middle school. I'm not ready for that. And <laughs> it's I, I love my kids' teachers. They're amazing. But it gets overwhelming. All the content and information you get from those teachers um, because they have a lot to share with you and they have a lot of things you need to stay connected with. And so what I started doing for the parents that I teach um, I started recording videos and uh, instead of doing just a newsletter, I do a video. It takes about, you know, 10 minutes maybe to record this video. Again, it's the same thing I would talk about in a, in a newsletter, but instead I'm doing a video and not only does it share the information with parents who want to just listen to it, maybe they're doing, uh, cooking dinner and they just want to mm-hmm. listen to what's going on. Um, but it also puts a face to a name since I'm in middle school, you know, they got five to 10 other teachers that they're working with. And so when they hear Mr. Stock, well, they don't remember who I am. And so this actually puts a face there. Um, and I yeah. actually have probably at least a third of my parents who prefer that. I still send out the written version. So I have a third of the parents that I'm, uh, hitting with that. And then there's another third that I just kind of piecemeal together some other ways to connect with them. I, I love awesome. that. I love that. Um, so in the 12 or so minutes that we've been talking, 13 minutes, um, you know, we've already brought up probably five or six different types of videos that you talk about in your book or that you make on a very regular basis. And, and Glenn even just mentioned there, I actually counted because I, I started reading it and then I was like, holy crap, there is a ton of content in this book as Tons. far as like like different types of videos. Like it's this is it's a legit book, friends, about mm-hmm. how to make different kinds of videos. Um over thirty. I I, I didn't want to like double count some things because some of the chapters it wasn't clear whether there was like uh, an actual like video ID in there, but there was at least thirty different types of videos that you could make, and that it just blew my mind. Um, to some though, um, especially you know if we're trying to convince as as three people who make kind of video content all the time. It, it it's great. It's it's just more ideas, which is awesome. But there are people out there that would look at this book and go, "Where the hell do I start?" Um, and it might seem a little overwhelming. So if you could pick a few, the the low hanging fruit, the um the the low floor, high ceiling content, the stuff that has staying power, um, where would you tell educators to start? So I would say starting with those daily announcement videos and the uh, parent emails, those are the two that are probably the easiest to sit down. I can do it today right away. Um, another one that is really good, especially right now, because kids need that SEL boost right now, mm. um, is pep talk videos. I, again, anywhere where I'm at, I try to record videos to give them a pep talk. Hey, you've got this. You're awesome. You're going to do some great things. Um, a couple of years cool. ago, my dryer broke. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so frustrated. And so I recorded a video with my dryer completely spread apart in my laundry room. <laughs> and I just told, I said, I am so frustrated right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break. I'm going to come back. And then I did another video after it was 
fixed, but then I had to replace it like a month later. But <laughs> I still, I, I show them those moments that are real life that they can see who I am. They can see me tackling real life situations. Um, and a lot of times it, it took a little bit of work to get in the habit of recording those, like reminding myself, oh, this would be a good moment to record. But once you start paying attention to there are all these little moments that you go through your day that you could record, you start seeing them everywhere. And it probably drives my family crazy because, you know, on vacation, we went to um, Harry Potter World and we're, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I've got to record a video and they're just used to it. They roll their eyes, wait for five minutes while I record. <laughs> but, you know, there are opportunities everywhere to record these videos. And so just be keeping an eye out for that. And, and you have a whole section in the book on doing video with students. And you just talked about that. Your, your kid, your kid has a, a podcast, uh, which is amazing. Um, can you talk about the unique complexities that come along with asking students to make their own videos and to create their own content and how some of those complexities might be overcome. Um, in particular, I mean, and this is super relevant, something we talk about on the podcast almost every week um, in the, you know, in this kind of COVID-19 era, um, thinking about issues related to device equity in particular. I wish I had a great answer for you. I wish I could say, you know what? This is what you do. This is how you solve that problem. Um, but the past few months have really raised awareness to some areas that we're really struggling with. Um, even in my own district, we saw some opportunities that we really need to improve on, things like access to the internet um, and those devices that we are one-to-one -one with devices. But you know, you may have a parent who needs to use that device for work that night yeah. or to pay a bill. And, you know... If it's paying the electric bill or doing homework that night, it's hard to make that decision. And so I don't have a, a great answer for that other than you name it. I've found a way to try to get devices for my kids, whether it's um, donors choose uh, grants. I offered to house technology from the library in my room and maintain it just so that I had easier access to it. Um it's, it's mainly just trying to piecemeal however many different technologies as I can. Um, thankfully, a lot of technologies have like video editors built in. They have um, PowerPoint now has uh, the capability to screencast really easily. Um, so there are ways to make it work. Uh, my daughter actually, so I've got to promote her too. She, she doesn't have a podcast yet, <laughs> uh, but she's getting with the kids, <laughs> man. I get it. <laughs> I, I know. And so, uh, she's really into stranger things. And so she's been creating these video montages. Um, she goes on YouTube and screencasts the video on YouTube and then puts them together. I don't, I don't even know what tool she found to do it. She just figured it out on mm -hmm. her own. We're going to have to talk about copyright, but, um, that's, <laughs> th that'll be an issue down the road. Yeah. Um, but she, she was interested in it. And because she was interested in it, she found a way to make whatever tool she had available work. And so a lot of it's just f trying to help the kids figure out what they have available and how to make that tool work for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, listen, I mean, no one has all the answers to everything that's going on, man. It's, it's, um, I, I think that one of the things that I've appreciated the most having people on during this time is, is not that you necessarily need to have the answers for me when I ask a question or us, it's that you just, you, you come with ideas, uh, and thoughts on, on how we work together. And, and that's why I think this next question is actually pretty important as well. Um, so, you know, in the wake of George Floyd, and all of the social justice conversations that are happening. Um, I mean, it's obvious our, our students are thinking about this stuff as well. It's just that these worlds, these um, these issues are not just relegated to parents and the adults and the teachers in the room. But we know our kids are thinking about um, George Floyd and they see it on the news and they see Donald Trump and they see everything that's happening. You know, it's it's not foreign to them. Um We've seen them start taking to platforms. You know, TikTok has transformed um, in some ways into not just, you know, the there's a lot of like weird nonsense on TikTok, obviously. It's a ton of fun. Um, there's a lot of inappropriateness, but 
it's turned into something else a little bit too and i and i mean that's obviously why donald trump is going after it because it's turned into a weapon you know a tool that the young people are using to talk about how they feel about things and this is a tool that they're familiar with instagram is the same um and they're using it to express their thoughts and their feelings because it's the best way that they know how what would you say to students and teachers who want to use video, not just as a medium for, you know, math and science and language and social studies and computer science and all of these, you know, core subjects, but also take it into personal realms, SEL um, conversations and societal spaces and social justice um, issues as well? I think... It's a great time for students because they're realizing that their voice has power and they're realizing that what they say matters. And they're finding that they now have the tools that make it easy for them to get their voice amplified, you know, a hundred times more than it may have been in the past. Um, as a language arts teacher, it works out really well for my curriculum because I can tie that into any persuasive writing unit we're doing. Um, actually, last year I had them research a cause that was important to them and then they had to research who they could contact to enact whatever change they wanted to enact. And so they were learning about government. They were learning, okay, well, this is a, a local issue. So I need to contact my local politician versus I'm going to contact a state senator or I'm going to contact um, different organizations at the national level. And it's just cool to see them realize that they have the power to say something. They have the tools now to say something and actually be heard by some of these people. And, you know, some of them responded and they started to realize there are some people who are willing to listen and some who aren't. And that was a great learning moment, too. And so I think just seeing kids realize the power in what they have to say and that they can actually enact change. is It's amazing to watch. And I can't wait to see um, what kids accomplish in the future. I mean, it's incredible. So awesome. So Josh, tell us, uh, tell our audience how they can connect with you. And then also where can we go to be able to go ahead and purchase your book? And actually, I know that you have a website also that has uh, some resources available also for teachers. So uh, give us all that information. All right. So you can find me on most social media platforms at Teach Like a Ninja. Um, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. So that's at Teach Like a Ninja. On YouTube, if you just search Josh Stock, you can find me on the first one that pops up. Um, you can find me at my website, mrstockrocks.com. And then uh, you can find my book uh, at any major book retailer. Mm -hmm. um, but what I found is you can actually order it through most um, local bookstores. So if you contact your book retailer, or a lot of them have a website, you can actually order it through their book retailers. And, um, you know, local bookshops are really struggling right now. So it's a good way to help support them. Um, it may take a little bit longer to get it mailed out to you, but you can help support a local bookstore at the same time. It's a great idea. Awesome. Support a local bookstore, friends. Buy Josh's book. Josh Stock, thanks so much for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks, as always, for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.